Nari, right relationship is so important to you. It's at the heart of who you are and your business. What would you really love people to gather and take away from our conversation today about how to do relationships well? I think just accept that relationships matter, they exist, and that it's an emergence nature. We're never going to get it right, but guess what? If we are conscious and intentional in how we interact with everyone around us, it changes the shape of our lives. Hello, our guest today is Nari McMahon, a specialist in creating high quality and meaningful relationships at work. Nari is director of CRR UK, the UK provider of organisation and relationship systems coaching, known as ORSC. ORSC is a coaching model and methodology that enables people to think about their business and personal relationships in a more conscious and deliberate way. It provides a systemic perspective to relational dynamics, as well as addressing what supports and undermines their subjective quality. I'm Robert Diggings, and this is Highly Relational, the podcast about creating, leading and developing great teams at work, along with all the opportunities and challenges of enabling and encouraging people to work together. Our aim is simple, to help you create world-class teams with the people you work with or the people you lead. In our conversation today, Nari reveals that relationships are in a constant state of emergence, not static, but alive, that there are sparks in relationships all the time and why we need to tune into the present to feel that crackle and pop, and how experimenting with different emotional roles in our relationships can free us from the past. Relationships are the foundation of everything we are and pretty much all that we do, both in our personal lives and at work. Whether it's relating to our partner, children or friends, our team leader or clients, or if we're in a leadership role, our team and probably their teams too. Every day we engage with a whole range of relationships, many of which are interdependent. Their importance can't really be overstated. We've all seen firsthand how people and their work suffers when relationships within a team break down. Tribalism, conflict, a lack of trust and belonging, cliques, dysfunction and unhealthy competition can so easily play out just when we least expect it. Nari has spent much of her life grappling with these issues and their solutions, and I began by asking her how come, after thousands of years of evolution, we still find relationships so difficult to get right. I think the greatest gift that my career has given me is this understanding that if we lean on principles, right, just to give you an idea, principles, a belief that relationships are constantly evolving and they are mirroring the context of the world. How can we possibly get it right? And that's the first thing to know. Being in right relationship is knowing that every day I have to be very conscious about it. There is no formula, but the formula is to know that it is evolving, the world is changing, and I need to be at the forefront of it, not sitting back. 
But you know what? We never teach our children how to be in right relationship. Nobody gives us a book, do they? <laughs> We're always muddling our way through it. And wouldn't it be fantastic if we could just help each other to be in better relationship with each other? Of course, and our conversation today is all about exploring, to the degree that we have the time to do it, and what you've learned about the interpersonal relationships and the systemic dynamics of both our social lives and our families and friendships, as well as, of course, our working lives, where relationships take a different kind of flavour and maybe have a different purpose. Let's let's start by what we mean by right relationship. Is that something that's easy to define or are there lots of perspectives about what that means? Yeah, lots of different perspectives. There is no one definition. That's the whole thing. Right relationship is right for the people involved in that relationship. There are obviously certain criteria, you know, with with how relationships are held. I think if I could just tweak the question and for me the question isn't so much what we are going to be doing together. It's that we are committed to creating the relationship that's going to help us thrive. So if we are committed to how we want to shape the relationship to thrive for all of us, it means that we are all contributing to whatever it is that relationship, I don't know, manifesting. You're kind of drawing attention to the aliveness of interpersonal relationship, that it isn't a thing, it's a process, and it is dynamic. And maybe it's very easy, if I speak for myself, to move away from paying attention to the actual relational dynamic. And and I'm looking more often, both with my family, my wife and my children and and in the workplace, at the outcome of what the relationship might achieve or deliver. Mm. And that's a very different you're bringing you're kind of bringing us back to the actual relationship if we brought it back to this room right now it's mm-hmm. what's happening between me you and, and you yeah both of us are speaking but we are speaking on behalf of our relationship which is trying to manifest something which is share with the world a passion that we both have which is how do we begin you know how do we work well together how do we commit to our family life together, how we participate in community, how do we use our language consciously and intentionally to make sure that we have the kind of impact that we want, how do we create rituals and habits so that we're reinforcing the patterns that we want to uh, manifest in the world. So there's there's an enormous potential Absolutely. in the way we relate and Absolutely. the patterns that we what we might think is well we do, I do it this way yeah. is in fact just a way and there's a, a whole world of possibility yeah. what do you think opens up those possibilities what is the orientation that perhaps you would encourage us to have that perhaps most of us don't have if if we're largely unconscious around our relationships. What is it that you're wanting us to pay attention to, for instance? Be really curious. I know it's curiosity about someone, about something that just happened, that just made you, I don't know, shut down or feel different or want to ignore or painful or wonderful, euphoric. Pay attention to it. Be really curious because that's a signal that's being said. Develop a stronger relationship to learn from that person because that person is giving you something new on how you can be in relationship going forward. My greatest, greatest gifts have always been people that I've never, ever thought I would meet. And for some reason at work, an amazing person has come into the team, very different from my life experience and all of a sudden the curiosity my curiosity has been piqued and from that relationship 
I've learned stuff. It's been hard. I don't have to do it. I can pretend or I can go on and meet people who are similar to me. But those relationships have been so enriching. And what is also lovely is when you meet someone who is so different in a team and yet they're also committed to making sure that they express who they are, their views, their life experience, because they want you to be a different kind of person. They are wanting and seeing something beautiful in you. That's how I see it. Look, you know what? When we go to work, it doesn't always feel that way. We're put together. You have to deliver on a product or something. And we are stressed. We are busy. And we know the risks. We don't perform. We lose our jobs. But the whole thing is what stops us from really producing and performing is the way I feel about the work, the people that I work with. You know, if I'm not in good relationship with the people, if I'm not in good relationship with the organization, I will go in stressed and anxious. But imagine if I knew why I was there, yeah, why we are doing this thing, why I joined this organization. If I keep being reminded of it, even if it is, the reason is because it's benefiting my family, still gives you something positive and wonderful to work towards. How how does the team dynamic differ from the family dynamic. I find myself sometimes saying to teams, um, the very first team that you were on was your family system or the if you were brought up through an institution or through multiple families, that system. Is that true? Do you see that business teams have some connection to family systems? Or because the context is so different, are they in fact a different kind of a different kind of beast? Yeah, I think we step into a role, don't we? I mean, we don't go in as myself. I step into a role and then I'm responsible for the role. So the role itself starts putting some containers around me. It gives me accountability, it gives me responsibility, it gives me a title, it gives me a way of behaving. So immediately my external way of showing up is going to be very different. The internal stuff, so the emotional stuff that I'm bringing at work, may be influenced in the way I have learned to express those emotions or not in the family dynamic. So I may come in and I may try to find that same emotional satisfaction in a team and it just might not be there. Somebody else might be occupying it or it might not be needed. And there may be some conflict. So I don't think it's the same. I think because we are there to perform a role, it shifts the way we show up. But we take things that we've learned in the past. I mean, how else How else can I communicate? For example, uh, I have a daughter who's 23 years old, and she's definitely a peacemaker. And I'm not quite too sure why she does that. But I watch her in her occupation that she's also trying to do the same kind of thing. But it doesn't fit in because it's rejected. They don't need a peacemaker. And so she's trying to figure out who else can I be in that relationship if I'm not valued for what my parents love me for. Uh, but she will find her own way in different teams. And now you're pointing to, this, to the sensitivity of what the team might need or what the team wants to draw from us, the role that the team requires yeah. us to play as opposed to the one that we are used to playing perhaps historically. Yeah. And that requires a sensitivity, a flexibility and a, and a willingness to explore that not only for oneself but with the other people and then we're into a, into something that takes some time to to unpack and most as you've said most 
business teams are there to deliver a product or a service or um, some kind of output for another Mm -hmm. team. And there could be a lack of time. So is part of the problem that there isn't enough, that time isn't allowed, isn't given to the process of being a team? Yeah, I love what you brought in because now our relationship to time, you've brought in this concept of how does relationship relate to time. So time has been imposed in terms of we've got eight hours or however time we have to deliver on something. And so for us, we'll say the rest of it is not valuable. But imagine if we for a moment just did something simple, a very simple exercise, because uh, we'll talk about the principles if we have time, but a simple exercise to draw up for five minutes every day as we come in, in the morning, as a ritual, as a habit, to talk about something about ourselves. A lot of teams do that, right? But this time to really focus on what might be what might be needed today in the workplace, as in in terms of emotional support. I bet you everyone will say, oh, we're not going to do that. But imagine if we said, I'm going to be the person who makes the jokes. I'm going to be the person who reminds us to take a break. I'm going to be the person to um, tell us when we're all agreeing, so I'm going to be the disturber in the system. But we're doing it consciously rather than me showing up as a disturber and everyone saying, oh, my gosh, there's Nari again saying no to everything we say. So that kind of starts slowing down the team, even just for five minutes. But what we've done is created intimacy, curiosity, and also the emotional side of things have come up. I love the thing you say about sharing something about our needs or ourselves. So there's you're deepening the understanding that the individuals in the team have about each other in that moment. Not It's not about yesterday or what do we need for the next six weeks. It's what do we need today, right now. Right now. Um, so you're bringing the team back to the present moment and to the individuals who are in the room. Yeah, and focusing on the time that feels like it's speeding up because we've got to deliver something to slowing down even for five or six or seven minutes to consciously design who we need to be with each other whilst we are doing the work. I think that is that is the fundamental change that I am dreaming for the world because when we start doing that, it sort of broadens the things that we bring to work. I think we've talked about, um, you know, this idea that organisations want us to feel like we're a family or we're a community and there's a big pushback because we're not. We're there for for a performing of a role, so we push back at it. But if we look at the organisation with compassion and curiosity, we know that they want us the organization might want us to feel at home so that we can perform our tasks. And isn't that a lovely thing, to feel like we can be at home and share with each other, not oversharing. It's not We don't go home and tell our parents everything that happened or a sibling or a, a friend. We're always choosing what we share, right, what's important. So that's what we want to do with teams as well. But wouldn't it be amazing to feel like this is a place where we can be in relationship with each other and develop our own skill set about how, what it means to be in relationship, even at work, not just at home. I follow a program, or I'm a facilitator and a trainer for a program, who were co-authored by two people. And fundamentally for this reason is we end up being very clumsy 
in relationship. We hurt people unintentionally. We hurt ourselves unintentionally. And they've developed a set of principles. And honestly, holding those principles in your mind to think that all relationships are in a constant state of emergence, which means that the way we think of relationship, that relationship right now is not stuck. You and I will meet again each other in a week's time. It'll be a completely different relationship. We'll still be you and me, but our relationship would have already evolved, benefited from this interaction. And that it is, it knows the answer. It itself knows the answer. So right now in this room, in addition to, you know, the support team we have around, there's our relationship sitting and wondering what it is that we're doing and the love we feel between each other and with each other and the care that we have for each other and the hope we have for the world. And that our voices are coming in, you know, separately, individually, but actually belongs to our relationship. We're speaking on behalf of what we've, what we are committed to, our relationship. And we have different roles. I mean, right now you're asking the questions, I'm answering the questions. Um, and, and, you know, that it's very important. Relationships need roles for it to survive. Otherwise, it can't. I mean, this is one of the, I know there are, there are five principles, and I'd love you to talk about each of them in turn, but this idea of emergence and that relationships are continually changing is one of the ORSC principles. And the phrase, I think it's a beautiful idea, but I think will be an unusual one for a lot of people, is the idea that our conversation now is in service of our relationship. That is a, that's quite an interesting thought as opposed to, because you're placing the relationship almost as the first most important thing yeah. that's happening between us yeah. and that this conversation is, in, is somehow an expression of our relationship and it's also a deepening and a development of our relationship yeah. as opposed to just going, yeah, we know each other and now let's have a conversation about um, the work you do and how you do it. Yeah, I also noticed how you slightly change your body movement because it's almost like there is something between us, a wisdom, that the relationship has wisdom, a wisdom that we're connected to. You are right that we are individuals, but we manifest something else which is very different and separate from who we are, but it is part of us. And we will we will come to talk about this because you in the ORS model you refer to this as the third entity, mm -hmm. which is the the name of the actual relationship either between the two of us or if there were um, you know ten people in a team, the uh, third entity is the relationship that they create, the, the the team entity, if you like. And we did touch on this in the conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Tony Llewellyn, who also spoke about the importance of seeing um, the team as an entity, as yeah. a single thing, not as a, a multiplicity of, of separate individuals. But let's stay with the principles, the ORSC principles, ORSC standing for Organisation and Relationship Systems Coaching, and your business delivers uh, the ORSC programme and the methodology and the training in the UK. Yeah. So we've touched on one of the principles, which is about relationships being emergent. What are the others? The second one is that all uh, relationships are creative, generative and know their own solution, which means that we actually go in not expecting to fix anything. We just know that, that the relationship hasn't been able to speak and our job is to just uh, reflect that, reveal that so that the team can adjust itself and move. And the third one is that all voices individual voices belong to the system so we're all a voice of the relationship 
we may speak from I perspective, but actually we're speaking from I and on behalf of the relationship. The fourth one is that all relationships need roles to for its functionality. So just remember, we do need a, a role of a parent if we have a family. Someone has to make those decisions. Someone has to do, you know, and the team leader. We need a team leader and we need teams to deliver on the product. And the last one, which is the one that you mentioned about the third entity, is to really focus that no relationship is the same. There is no blueprint of a relationship. All relationships are unique. When you think about that, it means that you don't go in expecting something to be in a particular way. You are there knowing that you're about to meet a brand new relationship, which looks completely different from all your other relationships. And this is a great opportunity for you to bring other aspects of yourself. So that's principles that we hold as we're doing our work, which means it liberates us from being held by a definition or an expectation. We go in welcoming whatever is in front of us. And you've also already highlighted that the relationship between us, um, me and you, is different every time we meet. Yeah, so not, not only are, we, are our relationships with all of the people in our lives different, but each time we engage with somebody, even if we've known them for 20 years, that relationship is also new. It's, it's happening in a brand new way in that moment. Yeah. The immediate um, challenge for me, and I suspect for many people listening to what you've just said, is the requirement to be open to possibility, to embrace uncertainty, to uh, let go of preconceptions. And in that, there's, there's something for me about the present moment and mindfulness practice and a willingness to meet the present moment fresh each moment, which is not easy, is it? No, no, of course not, especially because we're machines that, you know, as human beings are constantly thinking about what's next, what's the future. We're never attached to the present or how I felt uh, before. But relationships remind us that if we're not in the present, it starts creating states of conflict. Because if I'm moving forward at a pace that's different from you, I'm impacting the relationship because I'm trying to drag you or you're trying to slow me down. But if we're aware that in the relationship there's this desire to speed up and a desire to slow down, how do we then align those so that we can be in uh, right relationship, <laughs> if we want to use that word? So it just changes the quality of the relationship rather than feeling like I'm being dragged back or I'm always dragging something or people are trying to slow me down. There's a request there to say, hang on, if I just slow down and stay in the present moment, what is it that the relationship wants me to do? What is it that I can do? What is it that I am contributing? And how is that relationship contributing to me? I mean, this conversation between you and I is different from all the other conversations we've had. I have a memory of when I first met you and I have a feeling of how that was. I don't know how it's going to be the next time. I just know right now I am still trying to reconnect to who we were before, but at the same time being in the present moment because I know that it's different. And so I'm bringing some of the qualities of the past, but I'm also watching how the quality changes because of the conversation we're having. And I can hear in the way you describe that and the way you are relating to me that you are open to me being different and for the relationship to be different. So there is an aliveness 
that uh, you're drawing my attention to. And then I think of, of Alison, my wife, who I've known for 20 odd years. And it is so easy for when I go home later for me just to think it's the same, that she's the same as she was when I left her this morning, mm. that I that the relationship is this static thing. Mm. And you're inviting me to go right now between us, the relational field between us is alive and generative mm. and has wisdom and purpose. And to what degree am I able to tune into that? Yes, when you go home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but, yes, when I go home tonight with Alice. But with you right now, yeah. you're, there, I can hear your invitation for me to, to pay attention to the field between us. Yeah. And, and that, but that's actually, that is quite, un, quite, quite unusual, <laughs> Nari. That, is, that isn't what most of us are doing, is it, most of the time? No. And to feel the crackle and pop that I feel between us right now is um, something that you need to train yourself and be open to. And, you know, it's not only when you go and meet that specific person and feel the the spark. There's spark in relationship all the time. And how do we attach or hold on to it? Just imagine a group, you know, how is it that we define a successful team? Um, I don't know, as we, we mentioned before, define a high-performing team or a, perform, a team that's not performing so well. We're always labeling the relationship because we're not saying it's the individuals. We're actually putting a whole container around a group of people and saying that team is like that. What if we said that team is the potential of being whatever it needs to be? What can we do to allow the space for it to come out? Giving individuals the responsibility to shape it. So a relationship is not going to come out if we're all unconscious and unintentional because we'll keep tripping over each other. Once we become conscious and intentional, that, you know, in between us, there's a third person, third entity, third energy sitting with us now. What can we do to invite that person to participate in our conversation? So uh, we, will, <laughs> we will explore that in just a moment. What I want to capture is I could well imagine that there could be some people listening to this now saying, this sounds you know, really interesting, but in a business team, there mm. simply isn't time for people to feel into the spark and the pop and the crackle and the aliveness of the relational dynamic between them because they've got a job to do. Mm. There's, a, there's an output mm -hmm. and this needs doing, we, we need this this afternoon. Mm. And that override, in a business context, that overrides the individuals delighting and exploring and expressing this generative contact that you're talking of. So when you work with businesses using the, the model and the methodology that you have, how do you reorientate a business that goes, well, hang on a minute, that's, that sounds great, but maybe you do that at the, that sounds like something you might do at the weekend <laughs> as opposed to something you do here in this law firm or in this factory or international business? Yeah, I mean, we, it definitely comes with the big, we don't have time for that. <laughs> we have too much to do. And the idea is that we are doing it anyway. So when you say we don't have time for it and we're not doing it, you're already neglecting the relationship and it's having an impact. So then I become 
potentially stressed and anxious and feel like I'm isolated or disappointed in the organization or feeling like I have too much to do. So we're choosing something anyway. The question here is, wouldn't it be great if you chose something else? Maybe I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, a, a very impressive lawyer, because you mentioned it, um, came into our course. So I was really curious about it. And he said that sometimes he gets files delivered to on his desk, which are messy and untidy and just chucked in without consideration. The impact on him was that he felt very disrespected and he knew he had to do the work. What he did after the course was he went up and returned the file and said, I'm a human being. What if we find a way of doing this? Because this isn't working for me. And he said that relationship between them, the two people changed because they now, even on a daily basis, were more concerned about how they filed those forms, which took 30 extra seconds because they knew that that file was going to end up on his desk and they wanted him to feel great when he received it. Their relationship, the relationship between them, which was all quite gossipy and annoying and this is what they always do, completely changed. They didn't know the impact they were having. They now know the impact they're having and they changed it and their relationship changed. Now, isn't that wonderful? Mm. Let's talk about the this third entity mm -hmm. because it is uh, a fascinating idea and I remember asking Tony Llewellyn, whether he, when he was saying see the team as an entity, I asked him whether this was just an idea or whether he thought there were, whether there was a, a metaphysical phenomenon that existed that maybe is invisible, but nonetheless a real thing that represents the team. What's your perspective about that? And tell us more about what this third entity is that either exists between you and I now or in a in an intact team would represent all of the the members of the team yeah definitely feel like there's a an entity called the team which is very independent from the interdependent but independent from the individuals that occupy it and really it's more at, at an emotional level when you walk in you are immediately impacted by the energy sometimes it's very dense energy other times it's quite combustive energy other times it's it's just soft. There's no interconnection. What it does as a team leader is you stop focusing on the individuals and the parts you like or you don't like or who's doing what and why aren't they doing that and end up thinking about what it is that you want to create and what is it that you want to be part of. When you focus on the team, it stops becoming an individual dynamic. For me anyway, I can be in a room with 145 people and for me it is one person. Um, and maybe that's because I was brought up in a community and being in a community, you never really focus on individuals. You're always focused on the community and understand the entity that, that this community is, that your contribution, the way you behave, the language you use, the habits and rituals that are constantly repeated and the reason why and how would you bring some change into it. And so the impact is so real for me now that I can't even imagine a world where I wasn't conscious of that. It just alleviates so much I think so much tension because you're no longer engaged with the individual. That does not mean 
you're going to love everybody. That does not mean you're not going to have frictions. That, that does not mean you're not you're going to think, oh my gosh, why why that person? But it stops you from being trying to fix that person to understanding that they are also contributing to something that you're part of and how can you work together to do what it is that you need to do. Again, going back to the example, it was very easy. The, that person had much more power and authority to get rid of that person because the, the file was being delivered in the particular way that it was. But, I mean, that that's not changing anything. I think he was very conscious that he wanted a relationship. They were a very young person and wanted to develop that person. And so it was his duty not to assume that they knew what he wanted. His duty was to share. So that's the individual, to share with them what he expected. That gives that person the right to say, this is all I can do. And in that, they've already impacted their relationship, which was quite hostile, as I said before. And another thing maybe with Orsk is that we know that these kinds of communication are an unskillful way of trying to draw attention to the relationship. So rather than thinking that that person is wrong, what they're saying is, what am I contributing to create that in us so that that other person is uh, acting that way? My husband and I, if I constantly complain about something he's doing, but don't ask him what it is that I want, how is he ever going to know if he can change? Maybe he won't change. But if I don't ask... (laughs) So are you, are you saying, let me just check this out, are you saying that what we do unconsciously is we experience the relationship and often there's something we don't want it to be, maybe largely unconsciously, and then instead of drawing attention to that, we take the thing that we're not happy with and place it on the other person? Exactly. Okay, that's very, very helpful. Yeah. And your, so the ORS methodology and the, that approach is to say, no, don't put it on the other person. See it where it really is, which is in the relational field or in the relational dynamic mm-hmm. and work with it where it actually is rather than placing it on the other. Well, and it's sort of like a little bit more than that saying they're contributing something to the relationship which is annoying me, but this is the kind of relationship I want. Mm. So what do I need to do? to co-create that. So one of the things I may have to do is have a conversation. Another thing is let go that I'm going to ever ask that, that person is ever going to change. So maybe I need to change my own expectations and my own behaviors. I mean, it's it's a it's a two-way dynamic, isn't it? I mean, hmm, let's see I'll give you another example. There's so much change going on in an organizational context. Organizations are trying to reimagine themselves from the pandemic from the changes in the kinds of uh, work that they're doing. And it puts enormous stress on the on individuals. It puts enormous stress on teams. And we don't know the direction that organizations are going to go. We don't know what it's going to be like in two years' time, but we do know what it's like right now. And this whole phenomena, I could tell you lately, the phenomena of psychological safety has come back up again because people are not feeling safe. There is no safety given by organizations because they don't know what's going to happen. It's causing a lot of individual tension. But that does not have to mean that that tension has to live in the team. The team is there to do a job. Wouldn't it be amazing to know that even though I am feeling very nervous and scared about the future. Right now, right this moment, we are together to do something. 
Nari, let's come back to this idea of roles. Earlier, you talked a little bit about um, external roles, mm -hmm. both in the family system and, and at work. But I know the ORS model also pays attention to internal emotional roles. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about how that works and how, how you construct that. Yeah, each um, relationship, every relationship needs external roles that needs to be performed, whether it's the parent or child or the team leader or the members or the whoever they are, the CEO, the CTO. I mean, they're not names created for no reason. They are there to fulfill a role that the organization itself needs. But in that, we also are performing the emotional roles, which is what a system needs, which system or a team needs to function at an emotional level, because all relationships are emotional. They're based on the emotional uh, level. And so we end up playing different roles within that. So I may be the peacekeeper at home, or I may be the agitator. And it's the same thing for the team. I may be the joke, the person who makes the joke to just release tension. I may be the person who is negotiating between different people. I may be the person who's the peacekeeper in teams when there is such a high tension, uh, tension when we're doing work. And so the emotional roles don't actually belong to us as individuals. It belongs to the team for its functionality. We are performing a role in it. And we need to be conscious and intentional because sometimes we end up having to perform a similar kind of role time and time again in teams and it causes fatigue. And when we are fatigued in performing a role, an emotional role, we end up lashing out because it's the only way to regain some energy back in ourselves. And so if teams are aware that they are, I think we started off this conversation about speaking about how would you do a ritual in the morning to kind of regulate and even have an experience of all the emotions that are present at the meeting, then once people hear that, individuals hear that, it adjusts the energy of the relationship because it knows that it's got a diverse pool of emotions available for it to utilize. And not it's not only all the negative emotions that we talk about, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think we have a tendency to focus on everything we do which causes pain and conflict instead of thinking about all the things we do to actually bring forward conflict, which is a shortcut to getting to a solution, but doing it very skillfully instead of unskillfully. And in that, in that sense of um, the emotional roles, is our job in a team to be able to play many roles deliberately and well? Or is it to identify the one or two roles that in fact come naturally to us? How would you say what the work is, what the personal work is? Oh my gosh, I wish it was the one that you just said the letter where you could just choose what you want to be and just be that. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way because every relationship invites you to do something different. Every relationship needs you to, to, to have uh, the expansion to move in and out of different roles. And isn't that a gift that we're not stuck in doing something all the mm. time? I don't always have to be the angry person. Mm. I can also be the person who is sweet and graceful. I can be the person who's the joke maker. In fact, that is something that I've learned in the last two or three years that I'm actually quite funny. I never knew I was funny. <laughs> I thought I was just funny at home, secretly, a private funny person. But now I've I've discovered that I, I'm actually quite funny. And when I bring that, it brings people closer together. Sometimes my jokes are quite clumsy. Mm -hmm. And when I give the permission 
for the relationship. I also don't have to be funny going forward. Other people start occupying that role. And humor then becomes a way of communicating when things get difficult or when we have to have conversations that are quite painful. And humor doesn't mean cracking a joke to distract the relationship. Humor also means you come in with that humorous energy, you know, to take it on and say, you know what, you're right, I'm going to try that on. Let's see what it's like. One of the things that's fascinating, of course, about and different between family relationships and business relationships is a constellations idea that businesses are a continual movement of joining, belonging and leaving. Mm. What does the ORS model say about the ending of relationship? Uh, in a work context, how to do that in a way that honours the third entity or honours the team itself. Yeah, it's inevitable, isn't it? All relationships have an arc. Uh, it's it's our belief and that it either reimagines itself, how it's going to be. So again, just in the family context, you know, you're a family and then the children go to university. The relationship reimagines itself as to how it's going to be going forward now that the children aren't there. And there, as in every single day, as part of the system. And organizations are exactly the same, especially a lot of tech-driven organizations where specialists come in and they go out and then they belong to other systems, uh, other teams, and may not be uh, there present at the beginning but not in the middle part. What we don't do very well is people go and we feel their loss. We don't talk about it. We don't mention it because that's just the way that teams are. People are coming and going. But it leaves a real gap and that that gap becomes like a ghost role. So we end up missing that person, but we haven't articulated and spoken about it. So a skillful way of doing that is really recognizing that there is a flow and, and team members are going to come in and go out and create a ritual within the team as to how are we going to do that? How are we going to say goodbye? How are we going to say welcome? And how are we going to then take on the role, not only of the job that they did, the task they did, but the emotional role that they held? What happens if someone is the, if we are together, they're the ones who buy the coffee all the time? I mean, it's a, it's a gesture, isn't it? Buying coffee together is bringing people together. And if they're not there, somebody else has to do it. There's always like that tension about who's going to do it. But what if we recognize that it belonged to the team and one of us is going to occupy it? Not that person all the time. So again, rituals and habits of how we say hello and how we say goodbye. Ritual of habits to have a conversation around who you're missing. What are you missing about that person? Because sometimes we say, oh, I miss Robert. But we don't say why. You know, I miss his gentleness. I miss his robust uh, intellect. I missed him being inquisitive. Great. So who's going to do that? Yeah, we are going to see him on Friday. But how, who's going to do that in the meantime? So just before we finish, we are running out of time. What could somebody listening to this conversation that we've had today who wants to take some of these ideas that you've brought from the ORSC model and the methodology into their workplace, how could they bring that to life in some way, maybe in a meeting tomorrow or at a strategy offsite in the next few weeks? What, what would be some of the ideas that you could share? So two things the habit and the ritual, notice what habit and ritual you have. If the habit and ritual is just to get to the task, that's a habit and ritual. So maybe something would be wonderful is to just do a checking question. Or if you've been doing checking questions, be really intentional about it. Ask a, ask a really quirky question. I asked somebody the other day, I don't know how many of us are part of a twin, and I couldn't believe it. Two people in the team 
Uh, one was part of a triplet and the other one was part of a team. Like, how would we know that? So challenge yourself and ask a question that's going to change the ritual and habit. And the other thing is you brought in the idea of constellation. Remember, when you're sitting down in a meeting, you're already constellating. And if you can, draw a circle. And in the circle, start putting down little circles of all the emotional uh, roles that you're watching people hold. Who just cracked a joke? Who tried to find a way of bridging something? And then notice the role you're playing. And then see if you can notice the pattern the next time you go and challenge yourself and step into a role that is quite uncomfortable. Maybe you're not the challenger. Step into the challenger. Or maybe you're always the challenger. Tell everybody, you know what? I'm always the challenger. This time, in this next 20 minutes, I'm not going to challenge. See what happens. So um, it's called Paper Constellation. It's an amazing tool. I use it all the time. <laughs> Draw a circle, put, out, put down in little bubbles all the emotional roles that you hold in any relationship and see what else is po possible for you. Nara, it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> to spend some time with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. The Right Relating, Nari McMahon. Thank you for sharing your time and thoughts with us today. You've been listening to Highly Relational. Check out the show notes for more information about today's guest and the topics covered. And if you're enjoying these conversations and getting value from them, do please give us a like or rate wherever you're listening or watching. And of course, there's no better way to support what we're doing than by subscribing. I'd like to thank today's studio engineer at Spiritland Studio King's Cross, Will Thornton. Our researcher is Ella Halsell and the series producer is Ollie Giu. I'm Robert Diggings. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. <laughs>